Let's just let the pressure build in the room for a bit. I'll do a long pause before I start. Um, so yeah, today, if you've been joining us, uh, well, for a while, um, we've been in Colossians now for a few months, and uh, we make, we're making our way kind of slowly through it, and something that I've said several times that I'm going to say again is that uh, this book is kind of divided, as uh, Paul tends to do in most of his letters, and today, though, we really are reaching the tipping point uh, or the turning point of the letter to the Colossians. And uh, as, I, as I say, most of his letters kind of follow this. He, he tends to spend the first half of his letter building or laying down a foundation, a doctrinal foundation, uh, that just to kind of remind them and strengthen them in who Christ is and who they are in Christ. And all of his letters tend to follow this kind of format. Uh, and then at some point towards the middle slash end of the letter, he switches gears or changes gears and kind of switches a focus to a very practical application kind of way of writing. And next week, we're really going to see that in the text in the rest of chapter 3 and into 4, but especially in uh, the rest of here in 3. He's going to be using words like, he starts off actually right in verse 5 with put to death therefore, and then he's going to list a lot of things that we need to die to, that we need to kind of see our lives rid of as we follow Christ. And he's going to use a lot of terms like rid yourself of and things that we need to be putting on, a lot of do's and don'ts when it comes to being a Christian and being um, and maturing in Christ and following after him. Uh, A lot of kind of what we expect when it comes to church, when it comes to the Bible, like what we need to do, what we don't need to do. But as we look at all of his letters, we see that this is always a really small portion. We have to first have the foundation. We have to first understand what that is built on. And so this is kind of the last of that before he switches. And even when he gets into that, it's all going to be rooted in that foundation that he's laid at the first, at the beginning of the letter. Um, And the text today, these four verses, really mark this turning point of the letter. But before he's going to jump into the do's and don'ts, he gives us these verses as a last cry to solidify to make sure we get it, to have a concrete foundation of the truth that we have to grasp first. And so if you feel like, man, he's just kind of going on and on about these things, it's not just me, it's the Bible also does this. We forget these things, we forget the foundation of our relationship to Christ, we forget these things all the time, sometimes on a daily basis, which is why we're called to die daily as we follow Christ, we have to be reminded of these foundational truths. And so before we can step into walking a path of righteous living, right, what we need to do, what we don't need to do, we have to know where our righteousness comes from. What is it rooted in? And what the real focus of our lives needs to be in order to see a real change and transformation in our lives. So with that in mind, let's read the first part of verse 1 again of uh, chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And I want to stop there before we go any further, uh, because here we kind of need to clarify to whom Paul is speaking, because he's making a point to do so. It's an address. He's saying, since then, you, we could read this, since you who have been raised with Christ, and that's the identifier, right? Those who've been raised with Christ, those who have a new heart, who have been regenerated from the inside, you've been raised with Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Meaning, this is not for everybody. 
This is not just general truths for everyday life. Before Paul starts to unpack the practical side of the letter, he makes a clear-cut distinction to whom he's speaking. This is written to believers, to those who have been raised with Christ, to those who have a new heart that's been placed within them by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something that's changed deep down inside them. All the hope and the freedom and the grace that's talked about in this letter and in the Bible, it's always addressed to those who believe the truth, who believe this as truth. Now, if you're here today and you're not a believer, and you're thinking, okay, well then, should I just go now? This doesn't seem to be anything for me. Or maybe you're not sure if you're a believer, you're on the fence about some things, or whatever it might be. Uh, I want to encourage you that this, not to feel like this isn't something for you, but rather this is a, an awesome and cool opportunity of a look through the keyhole, so to speak, at what Christianity really is about. What does it mean? We're going to go through here in a minute. What it means biblically to say, if you say you're a Christian, what does it mean to be raised with Christ? In a very kind of short definition. And then we get to see these things of what it biblically looks like to be a Christian. And then next week we get into the actual do's and don'ts of what Christianity should be, or what we should be producing, or what should be being produced, rather, in us. And the reason that this is so, so important, why Paul is is kind of going on and on and on, and if you look through chapter 1 and chapter 2, into all the way into these first four verses, uh, you see a lot of repetition of what he's trying to say because it's so important that we grasp this. It's so important, and the reason it's so important is that if you read the rest of the letter without knowing this first, without having this as a foundation, one may think that it's the actions that we do that makes us right with God as we kind of talked about last week as well. It could be that you might misinterpret that, well, if I do those things, if I rid myself of those things, if I do the right things, then I'm going to be right with God. And it's so important that we don't fall into that. I know we talked about it last week, but it's on my heart this week too, so here it is. In fact, first, you must be raised with Christ. You must be raised with Christ first. He is our righteousness. And the do's and the don'ts that we seek to apply to our lives comes from the righteousness given to us through Jesus as we seek him and follow after him. It's that important. It's so important that that is the foundation of our understanding of our Christianity. The work of Christ brings about a changed life and thus how we live our life. On the contrary, changing how we live can't produce anything. It can never produce a genuine faith, a genuine changed life. It's not the things that we do. It has to start the other way. It starts with something that happens on the inside. It is God alone that can change our lives by doing a work in us and then transforming us by the Spirit deep down at our very core of our being. That's where that change begins. That's where that fruit of a righteous, a righteous living, of living the right things and doing the right things and ridding ourselves of the right things, all comes first from that. So before we go any further, I want to ask you guys, if that's you today, do you believe? Are you saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I, I believe those things. I believe what the Bible says about being a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I want to ask you a few, I'm, ask, I'm going to do quick three questions. Um, 
this isn't this wasn't my idea. I, I read this or heard this, and uh, I think it applies well in understanding what we really believe, if we really believe, so that we can understand: Is this being applied to me, or do I need to check my heart? So the first thing, the first question I would ask, I would ask anybody who, if they to find out if they're really a Christian, is: Do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you believe that you are a sinner? That your very best attempts to be righteous, your very best attempts to be a good person, can't even come close, or as Paul puts it, is filthy rags. It's nothing. That you have lived in rebellion against God, and that this comes from your very human nature. It It was something that you're born with. You're born into being a sinner. Do you believe that you are a sinner? And if you think, well, no, I don't know if I am. I think I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never done anything horrible to anyone else. For the most part, I would say I'm not really a sinner per se. Then according to scripture, you've not been raised with Christ. Again, this is not me. This is what the Bible tells us. Then according to scripture, you've not been raised with Christ. As John says it in 1 John he would say that you believe a lie. And he goes into this in depth in uh, chapter 1, or sorry, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 John. Uh, but I'll read verse 8 of chapter 1. So 1 John 1, 8, which I believe sums it up quite nicely. If we claim to be without sin, so if we say, I'm not a sinner, I'm a pretty good person, I'm not really that bad, I'm not a sinner, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the truth is not in us. Now the truth is the truth of salvation. Because what is it? It's the truth that sets us free. The truth put down deep in our hearts that sets us free from a life of sin. Opens our eyes to the truth. To see things as they really are. And the truth, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the truth. And if he hasn't been put down within you, then you're going to be blind to seeing that you're a sinner and that you need him. And Romans 3.23 puts it, a pretty familiar verse, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, every single person ever born, we all fall short of the glory of God and have sinned. When we come to a knowledge of the truth, that truth includes the understanding that we are in fact sinners. That we are by our very nature in rebellion against God and idolaters at our very core. We need a rescuer, a savior to bring us out of this hopeless and lost place of sin that we're born into. Jesus is the truth that comes into our lives, into our hearts, and shows us our sin and offers us forgiveness. So, that's the first one. Do you believe you are a sinner? The second one is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh? Not merely a good teacher, a prophet, or someone who just gave some great advice on how to live, but that he is God in the flesh, and that he came to take on the wrath of God, which is the deserved punishment for our sins, of which we are all sinners. And so paid in full the price for our sins. That through his death and resurrection, he took on our sin 
and we then receive his righteousness. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I've heard this before. I know this stuff. Man, don't let, don't let the importance of this slip away in your life. Before we even get to what we're going to be getting into later in this sermon. I mean, I, I, am, I became a Christian, I said last week, that when I was six years old, and I'm still constantly just feel the weight of what this truth really means for my life. Don't ever let that become just information that's just floating around your brain without understanding the truth that it represents. And if you say, no, I don't believe these things. I don't believe that he is really God. I don't, I don't know what I believe about sin or any of this stuff. Again, it's, you don't have, you've not been raised with Christ. This is what the scripture tells us. Maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't know what I believe about that stuff. But I'm still, I don't know, I think I'm a Christian. I would say, really, be on your guard. Check your heart. This is what scripture tells us is Christianity. This is biblical Christianity and historical Christianity as well. And anything contrary to this truth is a made-up version. It's based on something else. And today the world and even the church is filled with versions of Christianity. But when we remove the core, the truth, as seen in, I believe, in these two questions specifically, that we are sinners and that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior, it is no more genuine Christianity than a spring remains a spring if it no longer produces life-giving water. It becomes something else. It becomes just a hole in the ground. If a spring isn't producing water, it's not a spring anymore. If we take the truth of the gospel out of the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. It's no longer the truth that sets us free. The third thing I would say, or I would ask, is do you love him? This one's a little more flexible because it changes as God moves in our heart, as we grow in him, as we mature in our Christianity. We begin to tra- he begins to transform our desires so that we tend to become more and more serious about Christ, more in love with him. But do you love him? I think it's a basic question to begin with. Not perfectly. We will have dark moments in our lives. We will have moments of doubt and questions about our relationship with him and all sorts of moments that we will have to just wrestle with certain truths, especially when we're getting into the Bible. There's a lot of stuff in there we have to wrestle with. And what does this mean? And why did God put this there? And that doesn't seem to go away with most, at least as far as I can see so far. So I'm not talking about loving him perfectly or having a perfect understanding of your love for him. One way to think about it or that I see, do you, do you love him more now than you did before? Maybe last week, maybe last year, maybe 10 years ago? Is there, is there a growth? Is something changing in you? Are you moving towards Christ? I'm not talking about moments of backsliding and kind of going the wrong way or kind of forgetting something. Or, or we, take, we take the wrong steps many times in our lives, but I'm talking about overall in your life, are you moving in the direction toward him? The answer to this one, again, will change as we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But even if it's slowly, are you changing in that direction? Are we serious about Jesus? That's another way to think about it. Are we serious about him? Even though we fail, even though we fall short of what that looks like, are we serious about him? Do we want to know him better? 
Do you want to want him more? Sometimes that's as, as far as I can go. Lord, I just, I want to want you more than I do. I want my heart to change so that I, I want to want you more. We can even go that far. But is there something there? A seriousness, a love, a change toward him. Do you have a real desire to surrender yourself? I know you're thinking, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not all surrendered. But do you have a desire to continue to surrender yourself to him and follow after him with your whole heart and mind? Not, again, not perfectly. The Bible's full of very imperfect people who followed after God. A lot of them made some really crazy mistakes. Denying Jesus, the rock on which the church is built, denied Jesus three times. So I'm not talking about perfectly, I'm not talking about not never messing up, I'm just saying, is there something in you that there's a seriousness, there's a desire, I want to go that direction. And I see that slowly in my life, that's been the case. And if you said no to, I believe, any of the three of these questions, especially the first two, you should be worried about the state of your soul. You should be worried about the state of your soul. And it's a good thing to reflect on what you believe about those two questions. But if you can say yes, or maybe, well, I think so, or I'm pretty sure, I'd, or at least I want to believe that, I, I want to believe that, and I'm seeking that to be, for that to be my belief, then I would say you're in a pretty good place. Even if you can only say, I do, I want to want Jesus. I want my desire to change. I want to know him better. Or I want to want to know him better any of these, then you are the one to whom Paul speaks as he says, one who is raised with Christ. So that's a foundation we have to build before we get even into the rest of verse 1, which continues, so then, since then you have been raised with Christ, awesome, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So now we kind of see the rubber hitting the road, as we say, the States. You believe. You've been raised with Christ. Hallelujah. Now, what are you after? What are you seeking? What are you setting your heart on? What are you fixing your eyes on? Let it be Jesus Christ. Let it be Jesus Christ. He is who we are really after, who we really long for, who we really desire to know more. To see him moving and transforming us and renewing us from the inside through our relationship with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though we are sinners, even though we mess up, even though we fail, he continues to work in us and to draw us to himself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And maybe you think, well, I don't know. That seems, it could get a little bit derivative. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What does that actually look like every day? I mean, Jesus loves me, I get it, he died for me. I mean, I, I don't know, I just feel like I, 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 what, 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 do I, what am I supposed to get out of this? And for that, I really want to encourage you, if, if that's you, then come talk to me afterwards. No, I want to read a little bit as a reminder of who it is that we're talking about. And you might remember back in chapter 1, uh, we looked at... All through chapter 1, we spent a lot of time in chapter 1. There's a lot about who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us and, and just the, the might of his power. 
Uh, and so I want to read through this, uh, but if you want to hear an unpacking of this, we spent three weeks on it. You can listen to those online. Uh, but I just want to read this just to kind of put this image in our head of who we're talking about. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It's kind of a poem to who Christ is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now there's a lot more we could read about Jesus and who he is, but I, just, I think that is just such a huge depiction of Jesus in such a short amount of text. Uh, maybe even the most compact vision of Jesus in the, in the Bible in such a short uh, image right there. And what, what's the point? What am I trying to say with this? Is that there is no, there's always more to discover. There's no way you're going to get bored with Jesus as you seek him. When we truly belong to him and we have a genuine affection and love for him because of our regenerated heart as we've been raised with him, our desire changes. There's a seriousness about following him. And we'll never grow bored of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. If you feel that's the case, you haven't even scratched the surface on who he is. In a lifetime, you could never hope to discover everything there is. All the beauty and wonder of who Christ is. Not in a thousand lifetimes. He is in and before all things creator and redeemer. There is no end to his depths. And we live in a world that is so very, very easily distracted. We have very short attention spans. We grow bored easily. I think about the music I like and the movies I like and just how it changes so rapidly and how quickly I get bored with certain like, genres of television or movies or uh, music. It's, just, it, it's crazy how we just have so much that we can so easily just push something aside. It's, okay, I'm done with that. And when we look back a few years, it's kind of amazing, actually, sometimes the things we used to be into. That's always interesting to think about. This is not going to be the case with Jesus. The deeper we go and the more we know him, the more we find there is still left to discover. There is no end to his depths as we seek him. So what we need to do is make a shift of our focus. Make a shift of our focus. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There's got to be a shift in what our focus is. Is Jesus your focus? Is he your goal? Or is Jesus simply maybe a means to an end? This happens. Even in as even we do have a genuine relationship with him, we can easily fall into this. It's a part of our human nature. And if we want to use Jesus to gain something that we were never even promised or guaranteed in the first place, we're 
You're going to find that we're disappointed and often even resentful toward Jesus for not giving us what we wanted, even if he never said that we would have that, or at least not with a guarantee. And I, I want to, see, for example, when we can have this kind of mindset or this mentality that, okay, if I, I'm going to follow Jesus and then he's going to work everything out with my studies, everything's going to go well, I'm going to end up where I want to end up. I just, I'm going to follow Jesus and as I live a good Christian life, he's going to give me all the things that I want. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to live a long and healthy life without any problems. Jesus is my way to a happy and healthy family and life and friends and wealth. If I do this, he's going to give me that. In actuality, he himself, Jesus himself, is all we need. And the more we know him, the more we know that to be true. He is the goal and the center of our desires. Now, of course, I just... To be clear, God is at work in our lives and in our situations. And of course, we want to pray to him for our studies, for our health and when we're sick, and for our family's health, and for our financial situations. We want to pray for him to work. I'm not in any way diminishing how God works in our lives or works in those situations. But as the saying goes, you know, take the world and give me Christ. What's your goal? What, is your, what do you want more than anything else? Because it'll tell you really quick where your heart is if you don't get the thing you're asking for. And then you're like, well, what's the deal, Jesus? I'm going to church every week. What's the problem? Why aren't you helping me with this? It shows that, man, your heart's not in the right place. You care more about that thing that you can get from Jesus than Jesus himself. When in the end, man, I just, Jesus is enough in the end. We can still ask for those things. I'm not saying that we don't want to do that and believe that he will work in our situations. But never let anything that you can get from God be raised up higher than him himself. If things don't go as we'd like or as we think they should, we'll turn to God in anger or bitterness. That happens when Jesus isn't the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate goal of our heart. And I'll read my, I read this, I've read this several times actually throughout this series, but uh, my favorite quote from Timothy Keller, some of you will know it. God will only give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. That's the reality of it. And a Jesus-focused life, a life that's centered on Jesus genuinely, knows that I can always ask God to work in my life, but I also know that he knows much more than I do. And because Jesus himself is the goal of my life, I know, and I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. That he did promise us. When he's with us, he's never going to abandon you. You will never face anything alone. If he doesn't work that thing out the way you want it, you're still not alone. He is with you, comforting you, giving you peace and joy, even when life is hard. That's the beauty. Those things he did promise. And so I can trust that when his answer to my prayer is no, it's always somehow the right answer. It's the right answer. Because he's the ultimate goal, and I know that I'm with him either way. So how do we then set our minds and our hearts on the things above, on Jesus in our lives? How do we shift our focus off of the things of this world and onto him? 
Now, I don't, want, I don't think that Paul's merely talking about sinful things in the world because he's going to un, be unpacking that a lot in the rest of the chapter when he talks about things in the world. It can also be the everyday stuff. Everyday things in our lives. Things that move to a place in our minds and our hearts that are just too high higher than Christ. When unimportant things get too important, we've removed Jesus Christ out of the focus of our hearts. But it's not the things themselves that are evil, unless, of course, they are evil. Maybe it could be a sinful thing, certainly. But we'll, I think, he, like I say, he's going to unpack that a lot more in the rest of the chapter. Sometimes it's not the things that are evil. It's us. We are evil. We're the ones that are taking our focus off of Christ because we care more about the stupid things in our lives. It's our focus, our desires, and how we spend our time and money that shows the desires of our heart. Where are we investing? So examine your life. What things deepen your love for Jesus? What things do you do? What things are you seeking, spending your time and money on that deepen your love for him? And what things in your life rob you of that love? What stirs your affections? Let's talk about that. What stirs your affections or your love for Jesus? Now, of course, I have to mention the two obvious things that I hope all of you are doing daily or at least several times a week, daily on one of them, uh, and that is that we need to come to know him better through the word, through the Bible. And I just want to be clear. I know there's, a, there's sometimes there's different ideas about this. Uh, we need to seek him in the Bible because that's how he's chosen to reveal himself. It was his idea to reveal himself to the world through the word of God, through the Bible. That's how we first come to know the truth about who he is and who, what he says about who he is. So that's first and foremost seek him in the word and that in itself will just ignite passion and deepen your understanding of who he is and how because this is how God has chosen to reveal the truth to the world and of course the second one that I hope you're doing daily if not or as Paul says without ceasing which is prayer taking and I think there are it's definitely important to mention that we want to be praying all the time about everything and in everything that we're through in our lives bringing Christ into our situations knowing that he is with us we are not alone and that happens a lot through just praying to him just speaking with him about the things we're dealing with but I also think it's important to take quiet times in our lives where we just stop we pause and we really just seek him I know for me it's sometimes just moments of just being still maybe meditating on, a, on, a, on one verse or, or thinking about something that I've experienced with God or whatever it might be, and then just meditating on Him and meditating on who He is. And those quiet times and those times of prayer and intimacy are also important in igniting our passions for Him. But there are also things in everyday life that tend to, again, there are things that ignite and things that will kind of pull us away. And sometimes the same things can be very different for different people. Uh, but there are things that will ignite our desires for him. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and, or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we want to keep an eye on what we're thinking about. What are we spending our time dwelling on? What are we, what's consuming our minds? 
often I think we can immediately say, man, I don't need to be dwelling on this thought. I don't need to be dwelling on this worry or this doubt or this, this thing that I'm just, you know, what somebody might have said about me or this or that or just, just getting consumed with these negative thoughts. I think sometimes we can immediately push those and try and focus our thoughts on better things. Those can be, one simple thought can be something that ignites our love for Christ or robs us of it. So find things also, though, in your life that can ignite or even build up an excitement and a love for Jesus and a seriousness for Jesus. And when we think about having a Jesus-focused life, it's not always just, again, it's not always the really spiritual stuff that I'm talking about here. I can tell you a couple for me, um, and I think you need to know this for yourself, but I know for me there's, there's music I like, there's music I listen to that uh, when I'm in my times of prayer or whatever it might be, and maybe stop the recording for a moment, it's not always Christian music. I know, that's the pastor talking, sheesh, this guy. Uh, I mean, it's not, and sometimes it's classical, but it's not always classical either. But there are definitely, there's music, there's just some songs, specific songs especially. When I listen to them, I just, I don't know, I just feel moved. And I'm just always immediately just start praying. I don't, I mean, it just moves me to praying and just thanking Jesus for who he is. And it just moves me. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Maybe you've had a similar experience with music before. Um, And there's definitely music that would definitely draw me away from God. And may not make me think about who he is and, and what he's done for me. And so we want to be careful what we're, what we're listening to. But find things that, that do ignite that. I know also for me, it's, and I've mentioned this before, going out in nature, I really like to just go for like a walk through the woods or something like that. It can just kind of overwhelm me with the God as creator of all things and just the majesty and the beauty of it all. Those are simple things that can ignite our uh, passions for Christ. And uh, there's definitely movies. I know I've also talked a lot about I like movies. I like movies. It's a thing. Uh, And there are definitely some movies that have really ignited my passion for Christ as well, like really epic-y movies especially. Lord of the Rings, maybe. That's always a go-to. But something I actually, when I was kind of researching this uh, that I heard someone say, and I, I have had a similar experience to this, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like this is something you, want, I, you can try it if you feel like it would be a good thing for you, but he talks about this, uh, going through graveyards, walking through graveyards to ignite his passion for Christ. Uh, I know it sounds like, mm, that sounds a bit morbid, I don't know, maybe not for me, but the idea of it is to be kind of confronted with our, our own mortality. And it is biblical. I found a verse to kind of support that so it doesn't just sound weird. Uh, In Ecclesiastes, it says it's better to go into a house of mourning than of feasting because this is the end of all men and wise men take it to heart. And so the idea is a foolish man thinks he's going to live forever. Where the reality is, is that Jesus didn't promise you that you'll be here next year. Jesus didn't promise you that you'll be here next week. Every day and walk as we walk with him is so precious and beautiful. And, and sometimes being just reminded of that uh, can sharpen our connection to him and see the beauty of every moment that we experience and devalue some of the things that we elevate too highly or the worries that we tend to spend too much time dwelling on. So find it for yourself. Find things in your life, even everyday things, 
that stir your love for him. And be aware also of things that may rob you of it. So what robs your affections for Jesus? I think certainly worries is one. I've mentioned several times already. Uh, worries, especially about the future, can rob us of our trust and our affections for Jesus. Where Jesus himself in Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And he's saying, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. We don't have to worry about those things when we walk with Christ every day and when he is our ultimate goal and our ultimate prize of our hearts. When we are fixed, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, and I'll say this for myself personally, I find my heart is always filled with thankfulness. That's the thing that always tends to well up within me. If I want to go to, in prayer because I'm struggling with something and I first start off with just how awesome he is, and just fixing my eyes on who he is, man, I, I'm immediately just, wow, look at what you've done in my life. Look at all the things you've blessed me with. Down to the littlest, the smallest things in my life, to the biggest things in my life. I've got a second child on the way. I'm just like, wow, how crazy is this? How cool is this that God would allow me to be a father now of two children? I just feel moved by it and amazed. And this always tends to happen when, I'm, when I have my eyes fixed on Jesus or I make a point to fix my eyes on him. And that thankfulness and all that he's done for me, I'm reminded of just how amazing he is. And then suddenly the worry that I wanted to bring to him doesn't seem to be as warranted. Like it doesn't seem as important anymore in light of the greatness and love of Jesus Christ in my life. And this is true for all the valleys and trials and tribulations that you will encounter in your life. When your eyes are fixed on him, they shrink in size and your heart tends to grow into thankfulness, which is what we also heard last week when, with Manga's testimony for those who were here. how She was even thankful in the midst of her trials and some hard times, things that most of us would hope never to have to face. And yet she was able to look at it and be thankful. And God then brought her through it anyway. Often, though, it's not just those big things in our lives. It can be the little things that, again, aren't necessarily evil that rob us of our relationship and our focus on Jesus. Things like social media, maybe too much Netflix, obsessing over sports, watching all, having to always watch the latest football game, and Jesus is like, well, I don't have time for Jesus today. The game's on whatever it might be. And a thing, I actually had a conversation this week with somebody. Um, a thing to kind of think about is what is the first thing you do when you pick up your phone? What is the first thing you do when you pick up your phone? Instagram? Facebook? Instagram sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is, a, this is a place where we can be honest with each other. It's just like sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing. It's just like phone's on. How, I'm on, scrolling through Instagram. I don't even know how I got there. And then you're like, how much time have I been on here? This is weird. What's your go-to? And I've been trying to change that in my life so that especially on my breaks at work, or my, I have a job during the week, that on my breaks, instead of looking at Instagram, first I want to read scripture. I want to read something from, from the Bible, just to hear something from God first before I hear about everybody's perfect lives on Instagram. That's, it's, at least that's the way it seems. So often, 
we have such unwavering devotion to the things that are stealing our time and our desires that belong to Jesus. So devoted to know what's going on on Instagram. So devoted to that sports team. So devoted to these things that are robbing the desire that belongs to Jesus. Again, these aren't bad things. In fact, some of those things might even stir up your, uh, your affections for Jesus. You need to know it for yourself. But when it goes the other way, and these things do become our focus, know that anything that is seen higher or put in a higher position in our hearts than Christ is sin. It's sin. It's, it's idolatry. It's sin to do that. And we need to check our hearts. And when we do find ourselves in that situation, we want to pray and, and surrender it to God that he would continue to shift the desire of our hearts so that we can focus on Christ and that he would show us how to see Jesus as the center point of our desires. But also, maybe stop. <laughs> stop doing it. Delete Instagram from your phone. What did he say? Delete social media. Cancel Netflix. Stop drinking. Stop going to those parties when you know that it's, it's robbing you of your affections for Christ, whatever it might be in your life. Now, I'm not saying forever, because again, I don't think any of these things are necessarily evil. But if you're like, oh, yeah, I just, I can't stop. Well, then delete it off your phone. It'll make it a little bit easier anyway. Like, can I borrow your phone, man? I need to look at Instagram. Like, dude, oof, you got problems. Take a minute, pull away from whatever it is, at least long enough to reset your focus so that your focus is back where it needs to be on Christ. And then if you can, I mean, I've had to delete Netflix off my, off my iPad here several times in my life. Not going to lie. I like to watch movies. <laughs> And I found, man, this is, this is taking too much of my free time, and I don't have enough free time to warrant the amount of time I'm watching movies. Got to delete it. And so I just want to encourage you, take, take a step back, get rid of that thing at least long enough to reset your heart. And I don't want you to lose heart in this or think it's hopeless and think, no way, man, I can never stop watching sports. I can never stop watching Netflix. I can never delete Instagram. You're crazy. You're talking crazy. I want to encourage you that there's hope that we're going to continue to go through a cycle where we're going to fall short. We're going to find new things that tend to try to steal our attention or rob us. But there is hope. Don't feel like it's just this endless wave. There's also a reality here in these verses that Paul's trying to make clear to us. In verse 3, it says, "You, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love this, this kind of verse 1 and verse 3 have this kind of uh, sandwich feel to it. You know, you've been risen with Christ, and then he kind of goes like, okay, now focus on Christ, not on the things of the world, because you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Kind of comes back around. And the point is, you and I are going to mess it up. And again, think, thinking about this topic this week, I was really challenged and I became painfully aware of just how much, how often I elevate things in my own life higher than Jesus. Sometimes dumb, stupid things. Worries about, oh, what am I going to do when the second baby comes? <laughs> am I ready? I don't know. These things can, can just you know, swarm in our minds 
But not just the worries. Sometimes, again, it's just the small things that just for a moment, I, I, I barely even become aware of it unless I'm really trying to be aware of it, that, man, that, I'm just I'm thinking about that too much. That is being elevated to a place higher than Christ. And the truth is, this is a reality for all of us on a daily basis, most likely. And we are probably rarely really aware of just how much we do this. But thank God that my life, my failures, and yours are all hidden with Christ. They have been nailed to the cross, as it says in the middle of chapter 2, long before you or I came into the picture. I think we can all agree that none of us here are perfect. But I want to tell you that you, that we, we have a hope that everything in our lives is hidden with Christ. When you look in the mirror, let me put it this way, when you look in the mirror, You're not seeing the full reality of your own nature. You're not seeing all of who you really are. Your true self, your new life as a new creature in Christ is hidden with him. Only to be revealed when he comes again in glory as it says in verse 4. We are justified not by our works but by Christ alone. Sorry, as we're getting a little bit late in the... I'm thinking we might cut straight to communion here as we're going to be celebrating communion today. I want to just encourage you guys that we're all sinners. And we have no hope of saving ourselves. God sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins, meaning he paid the price, took on the penalty for our sin. He became sin who had never sinned so that through faith and hope in him, we may become the righteousness of God in Christ through him alone. So that's just something to build as the concrete foundation for everything else in your life as you continue to shift your focus Stirring up things and finding things in your life that stir up your affections for him and him alone. He is the goal. He is the one and only savior of your life. Cling to that and cling to him. Not just the idea of him, not just what you can get out of having a relationship with him, but him himself. And I can tell you from my own experience, the closer I get to him, the more free I feel the more loved I feel, the more of his power I see in my life. Cling to him. And now, in a moment, I will invite you guys to come and join him at his table, as he invites us to do. No matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, no matter how many times you've got distracted or shifted your focus off of him for other things, There are two things that we believe here about communion before we take communion together. The first is that it is for those who say, I believe that Jesus Christ is is my Lord and Savior. And it's a proclamation in itself that he has, in fact, died on the cross paying for my sins and that we are free from all condemnation and completely forgiven. 
And the second thing that we do here is we take just a moment for repentance. And this, is, this isn't about anything we're getting from God or earning from God. It's about ourselves acknowledging that we need him as a savior and that we aren't perfect, but we are being perfected through the Holy Spirit and our relationship to him. So we're going to take just, we're going to do things a little bit different. We've got a little bit, uh, quite a few people here today. Uh, normally we do communion. We all come together here at the front. I want to give you guys, I'll invite the band actually to come up uh, and we'll just have them play something as we just take two, three minutes. I want to encourage you to just come before him and lay anything you need to lay down at the cross where it's already been nailed, whether it's sins or struggles, doubts, worries, fears, whatever it might be, maybe big things that are coming up in your life that you don't know what to do about, lay it all down, put it at the cross so that we can come with our, our just with a freedom as we come to his table and take communion together. And as afterwards, I'll invite you guys, you can just kind of come up and take uh, one of each of the elements, and then we'll kind of maybe just fill like the first two or three rows here. I think it's still good if we're kind of all together. Uh, I just don't know if we'll fit literally here in this small area, as we do sometimes. So we'll just kind of fill up this first three rows or so, and then take communion together. So you can just take the elements, and then we'll take it together. But I invite you now to take a moment to pray. Well, if you still need a few minutes, feel free. Um, but I'll invite you now to 
kind of come up to the front. You can kind of just come to the sides and then take one of each of the elements and we're just kind of, kind of squeeze here in the first few rows maybe. Uh, I think it's good that we're kind of together. It's something that we do united together, united to Christ. Uh, so I don't want you way back in your seat at the back, but kind of cushed in together a little bit. It's all right. We can get, we're all friends here. Um, and so I want to invite you now to come take one of the elements and then maybe just fill up these first couple rows. And we'll then take communion together.
So as we see in scripture, it says that he took the bread, broke it, giving thanks for it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you so much for your love, for your deep, passionate, unconditional love that you have for humanity, that you would be willing to lay down your life, take on the penalty of sin and die, and have your body be broken for our sakes so that we can be made whole through you. We do this today united as the body of Christ and united to you, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that you spilled. Father, that it is, it is only by the blood, as we sang today, it is only by the blood that we are made righteous, that we are made whole, that we are made white as snow. Our righteousness, our attempts to be holy are as filthy rags, but you covered us by your blood so that we would be made perfect through you and in you alone. We do this today in remembrance of you and your sacrifice. Amen. Well, as always, after communion, I want to invite you, you can hang out here at the front or move about the room as you feel. Uh, We're going to close with one final song. Um, And also, something else we want to be doing from now on, um, if you need prayer, if you have something that maybe God moved in your heart or maybe just something in your life that you'd like some prayer support for. Uh, There are going to be uh, people at the cross, um, Ben and Antonia, I believe, that would be happy to pray with you during this last song. For a breath beyond my death You are with me on the way To everlasting Oh, I can run, I can hide Even darkness is a light From the lowest place to the highest place You are worthy Amazing love, how can it be? Far too wonderful for me There's only one thing left to say You are worthy Search me, God, and know my heart Try me, know my anxious thoughts, yeah 
find awakeness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, I can run, I can hide, even darkness is a light to the lowest place, to the highest place, you are worthy. Amazing love, how can it be? Such a wonderful for me. There's only one thing left to say. You are worthy of For me and my mother's world. For my single home. I want to play. I can't describe it. It's not too high. See me through and through and call me love. What a wonderful grace. You found me in my mother's womb. You know me, flesh, my flesh, my blood. Oh, what a wonderful I can't describe it. It's far too high. See me through and through and call me love. Darkness is a light from the lowest place to the highest praise. You are worthy. Amazing love, how can it be? Such a wonderful for me. There's only one thing left to say. You are worthy. Oh, I can run, I can hide. Even darkness is a light. From the lowest place to the highest place, you are worthy. Amazing love, how can it be? Thought you wonderful for me. There's only one thing left to say, you are worthy. guys can stay standing for the closing blessing and as always as I say every week if you're if you've been here a while but if you're new uh, after the blessing I would encourage you to take a moment greet someone around you especially maybe try to get to so know someone new that you don't know yet uh, before you head out and also we have lots of cake and stuff so there's a good reason to hang out for a while um, but we really want to grow this community we want to be the body of Christ of Christ knit together in love as we're called to um, and so and just starts with uh, getting to know somebody maybe someone new so I encourage you to do that after the blessing and this is a blessing from 2nd Corinthians the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you go through this coming week and choose to fix your hearts and your minds on the things that are above where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.